How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the Third Line Plug Senscast. I am your host, Taylor Gibson. Joining me, as always, from the tropical metropolis of Calgary, Alberta, my co-host, Tim Jansy. Tim, how's it going, sir? It's going all right, going all right. It's actually been above zero for most of this week, so uh haven't actually frozen my pants off any bit so far, so I'm happy. There's been more Chinook winds that have come through, or just sort of... I think so, yeah. It's okay. just been mild. Okay, so just a quick disclaimer for the listeners. If I am kind of just moving around in my chair quite a bit, it is because... I do have a rib injury right now, but also because I'm super excited to have our guest co-host on for us today. Our guest co-host, he's the man of the people, as I so put it on Twitter, Mr. Kevin Hemana. Kevin, how's it going? Welcome to the show. Doing great. Thanks for inviting me, Taylor and Tim. Really excited to be recording my first full podcast ever, so I hope it goes well. Awesome. Like, What was your previous podcast experience, if you don't mind me asking? Um, the only one that I did was the Locked On Sense. Again, I'm always going to give a shout out to those guys. I did the, what's it called, the, my Sense Central Citizen segment with them. So this is going to be pretty fun to really go in depth about our team. Like the Sense mm-hmm. are the best team for sure. See, and this is why you've got thousands of followers and we've got maybe a couple hundred. We're not. <laughs> we're just not excited enough. We're not. <laughs> no, we're really not. I mean, we're thinking we have a podcast. We just give our opinions instead of on Twitter. But, you know, it is what it is. So, Kevin, I'm very excited to have you on the show this evening, not only because we get to talk about the 2022-23 Ottawa Senators' first half recap, but also we've got to talk about today's cover athlete, because today's episode is Season 6, Episode 12, in chronological order, Episode 136, the Colin White edition of the Third Line Plug, Sensecast. So, just a little background about Colin White. He was drafted 21st overall by the Ottawa Senators in 2015. He played parts of six seasons for Ottawa, recording 36 goals. 72 is 62 assists for 98 points in 224 games and is currently with in his first season with the Florida Panthers. So Kevin, I know that we talked about this off the air and I'm breaking kayfabe if I'm being honest, Tim and I blew it. Or I should say I blew it more because <laughs> on last week's episode, Tim and I talked about Colin White as the cover athlete. Unknowingly to us, it was actually episode 135. So instead of getting Tim and I to just ramble about Colin White once again, I'm going to throw it up to you. Like, what has been your thoughts on Colin White's tenure with the Sens? Yeah, I would, I would say it's pretty interesting. I remember when we were in the midst of that rebuild, like, I believe he was the first or the second player to be signed to a long-term contract by Pierre Dorian. And, of course, we're pretty excited, right? Because we just went through that time where we're purging, like, everyone that we all loved, right? That 2017 team that... Sometimes we don't want to talk about too much because of PTSD, right? <laughs> right. Honestly, it does sometimes bring us some, you know, a sad moments. But anyways, yeah, it just sucks that he didn't work out. Honestly, like, I mean, I think the reason why they signed him, because they probably thought he would be like a potential num- number one center or number two center, but probably num- number one, probably. But then the Mark Stone factor probably threw up the projections big time because they didn't even know Mark Stone was going to stay, right? Like Mark Stone like left, I think one year or two years into his contract, well, that's going to throw off everything for Colin White. It's just unfortunate. Sometimes us fans would even put a lot of pressure on the guy because he was one of the first, you know, long-term contracts that we signed once they got rid of everybody. But I hope he does well in Florida. That's all I'm hoping for, you know. I'm always a person that wants to see the players who used to play for our team do well when they go to their new teams, but not against Ottawa, obviously. (laughs) That, That can't happen. Like Eric Carlson, we will cheer for you from afar. Like when you're playing any other team, like if you're if you're playing against Toronto, Montreal, like any, everybody except Ottawa. Like I'm sorry, man. Like it sucks to cheer against you when you're when we're playing Ottawa, but yeah, 
Well, I know our good friend Sean, also known, I think it's Bear Sins, Mariners, something else on Twitter, the big Carlson guy. But like we had him on the podcast in the in the springtime, and he and he and I talked about Carlson for probably about 20 minutes off the air. So it was great. I think one of the big things for me, Kevin, we'll talk about Colin White, and I brought this up on the last episode that we got a chance to do, is I think a lot of the hype with Colin White was also because of the contract, but because he came through with the World Juniors in 2015, where Shabbat won the MVP and he was the runner-up. I think a, that a lot of that had to do with it. Now, honestly, do you feel that's a fair assessment to make? Yeah, that makes sense. Like a lot of players that make it to the World Juniors sometimes get a lot of pressure once they get because. Sometimes they're either about to get drafted or were already drafted the year or two years before, right? So to sort of see that he was the second uh, run or was the runner-up to Thomas Shabbat, I think put a lot of pressure on him, right? Especially if they're both drafted by the same team. I think that if I was the player, yeah, I would sort of want to beat my competitor, right? On the especially if it's Team Canada versus Team USA, I think that sort of amped up the pressure on him, unfortunately. No, that's fair. And I, I honestly, I don't think what we ever got that excited over a sense prospect in the World Juniors until Stutzla came along. And I remember even seeing Stutzla in the World Juniors. And the first game I saw him, I just looked at it. I was like, oh, my God, we have this guy on our team. This is amazing. Yeah. I, like, I watched those highlights at least five or six times back to back to back. I remember watching Team Germany on uh, Christmas Day in 2020. And I was just like, this is the only reason a game by Germany is watchable in this tournament this year is this kid is just dancing around everyone else. Yeah. Thank you. San Jose for Tim Stutzler, man, without you, we wouldn't have gotten him. Oh, I know. <laughs> I mean, nine out of 10 times that trade would not work in our favors, but it's just that one time. Yeah. Everything fell in our laps, not only because we got that third pick, but then we landed Jake Sanderson two picks. Later. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, Guys, as much as we can sit here and talk about Colin White, the only delay is inevitable that we go to announce next week's cover athlete poll for season six, episode 13, in chronological order, episode 137. Now, we got some big names on the board here, guys. If you have ever played the EA NHL games, you may remember these guys, <laughs> or you may or may not remember them as a senator. Dean McCammon, Corey Locke, and Martin St. Pierre. Oh, come on. Dean McCavid actually had impactful members as a senator. Sorry, impactful moments as a senator. I know. That's, mm -hmm. why, I, that's why I put the <laughs> latter part in there. Okay, fair, fair, fair. Uh, for me, Corey Locke, uh, I remember being a 67th fan when I was pretty young, and that's one name that resonates for me for sure. Yeah, like, what was your top memory of Corey Locke when he played for the 67s? I would just say, in all honesty, I wasn't really, like, following like what they were doing in world uh world junior sorry in the six sevens back in that time but just the number was very obscure right being number 84 that's a pretty weird number that's probably just the one thing that caught my eye about it. and i think it was a pretty offensively gifted guy if i remember right during his time with the 67s mm -hmm. so obviously that's a big thing right especially if you're a, an apple fan as i am or most of us are you want to see a lot of goals right most of the time especially uh, whether it's uh, juniors or the NHL, but you see someone scoring like a bunch of points that makes you very happy as a fan. Excellent. Now, Kevin, we're going to move away from plugging our next week's cover. Excuse me. We're going to move away from talking about our cover athlete poll for next week because we've got to talk about the Ottawa Senators' first half recap. Now, one of the nice things about doing their show over the years that we've done it is that we always get a chance to chat with fans of opposing teams and even fans of the Ottawa Senators. The number one question I love asking anytime we get the chance and work with somebody new, how did you become a fan? 
of the Ottawa Senators. Yeah, so for me, I believe I was in grade four or grade five, because uh, I'm from Ottawa. For people who don't know, who don't know who I am on Twitter, I'm from Ottawa. So um, my parents were, came from the Philippines. They don't know anything about hockey. I just found this thing one day on TV. I'm like, what's well, a power play? What's this penalty kill? Like, I didn't understand anything at all. And this is like the days before when YouTube wasn't popular popular yet, right? Mm. So, And that was, I believe, my first sort of remembrance of watching hockey was Sedano Chera's last year in Ottawa. How painful. Oh, man. Um, Dominic Hasek being there. So it's like I just got into it. Then the second year was obviously the run to the Stanley Cup. So that's probably where a lot of my fundamental memories came from. Like Alfie obviously became my favorite player. I was also, I'm also born on February 11th and my number is 11 and he's 11. So like everything lines up with me being like his number one fan. I would say, I hope I'm his <laughs> number one fan. Disclaimer, maybe I'm not. No, I should be. I don't know. Like I don't want to put favorites. But I love Alfie. Yeah, I just found it one day on TV, like without the presence of social media back then, they just fell in love with it. I think that's a pretty overwhelming consensus. Whenever we did chat with somebody about how they become a sense fan, it always comes back to the 0506 sense. Because when you look at that roster, I mean, that's the first year of the cash line. That was the last year of Chara being there. Red was in his prime. Mike Fisher was running that second line. I mean, when you think of it, Dominic Hasek was there. Ray Emery was a rookie. I mean, you look at that team and you're thinking, of any team that should have won the cup in Ottawa, that was it right there. Yeah, for sure. Now, another thing I want to talk about with you, Kevin, is we mentioned off the top that you're, I would say you're more of the man of the people on Twitter with your overwhelmingly positivity, whether it be with the Ottawa Senators or the Ottawa Red Blocks, and I guess some 67 stuff there. Talk us a little bit about your presence on Twitter, because I think that's one of the things that everybody will know about you. Yeah, I think I just want to bring like uh, the positive vibes on Twitter, because a lot of time, uh, political or religious beliefs sometimes gets on, into the way of people, you know, like. Yeah, we may have our own uh, uh, personal views on stuff, but what I view it as, like, I probably won't post some stuff that I may not agree with on Twitter because it's not going to bring anything good out of it. It's just going to bring more toxic toxic stuff for the person that I'm responding to and also mm -hmm. for me. So there's pretty much no point in engaging or uh, giving an opinion that may not be accepted according, you know, to the world that we live in, unfortunately, today. So I just, I'll listen to all opinions and just be positive about it. Even though maybe internally I may have to disagree on it because, you know, whatever religious views I may have or political views I may have. But at the end of the day, I still respect them for who they are because we're all human beings at the end of the day. We all have our own freedom of choice, freedom of will. So that's why I try to bring just positive vibes only, like no negative stuff as much as possible. And it's really worked. I mean, I'm just looking at your Twitter. Like you have thousands of followers. The one that really caught my eye, and I know that you pin tweet this, former Ottawa mayor, Jim Watson. <laughs> yeah pretty weird right that that came up i don't know just one one time almost during covid like during the midst of covid i was probably struggling with mental health issues during the time he just followed me and i thought that would be the way for me to get alfie but i would say another <laughs> significant because you know alfie would vouch for his campaign right apparently back in the day so just tried it didn't work uh but i would say one significant follower that i got over the past two years is probably mark mathon that was like a surprise out of nowhere. Like, huh? Matt is following me. And I think it was either towards the end of his time with the Wally Mathot show or like he just finished. So it's like pretty cool to have a former hockey player follow you on Twitter. That's pretty cool. And sometimes he'll like sometimes retweet my stuff or retweet stuff that I responded to. Then he'll like put his own comment to it. So that's pretty cool when that happens. 
No, that is really cool. And that's one of the things that I really like about social media is that you'll see players that we either watch growing up or used to play for the Sens or play for them now. And you're like, oh my God, that person's following us. I think for us, like even through our show, you look at some of the followers we have. I think the one that really caught me off guard was Senstirp. I don't know what it is. We've never interacted with Senstirp on Twitter. We've never interacted with him at all. And one day we just, I looked at my phone and he just followed us. Well, there you go. You know what we have to do next, Tay? Hey? Oh, man. Do we have to have a Twitter beef? No. No, no, no. <laughs> we have them on the positive vibes only today, Tay. <laughs> we, we're, we've, seen the, we've seen the way. Vibe checks out. Positive only. Oh, yeah. my God. And I know that's what... I know... I, I think I can speak for both of us, Tim. Like That's one of the things that Tim and I really try to do on social media with Third Line Plug and even our own shows and our own Twitter accounts is that we just we don't try to get into arguments with people we're kind of like yourself like we'll look at it on twitter and we'll just kind of scoff at it and that's it i think that's where a lot of people really get caught up in it because it's very much like a height to me it's like a high school mentality where it's no you have to respond to this you have to have like that solid opinion you need to do this it's like yes if you don't agree with it you don't need to respond it's like people who who tweet at bruce garriock it's like yeah. If you don't agree with Gary, you don't have to tweet him. Just do what we do. Yeah. Yeah. It's essentially the hockey Canada stuff. People are like um, assum- making assumptions already without knowing everything. And are we going to add anything to the case? Like, I'm not saying nope. like I don't condone everything that happened. It's not that. Like, what's the point of me saying my opinion when no one's really going to care? Like, honestly, like social media just hides stuff behind a screen, we can say, right? Like, we don't know the real person until you meet them, you know? Like, with Bruce Garriott, I got to meet him. Nice guy. Yeah, that's the one thing. Actually, Tim, was it you who was saying that you actually yeah. worked with one of his kids? Yeah. Yeah, yeah he's nice guy. We, yeah, he's somebody we need to get on the show. But that's another <laughs> thing we've heard about with Garriott is, like, Garriott's just a nice guy in person. But honestly, yeah, if you tweet him, of course he's going to block. It's, it's different with, say, like, I don't want to throw Sean Simpson in there, but Sean Simpson, Tim's pointed this out, he looks for that stuff, though. That's different. Yeah. And I just have a look at your Twitter. 1,397 followers, so I think somebody will actually care what you say, Kevin. Yeah. Yeah, so that's how I try to be a little bit careful with what I say, and you probably don't really see me engaging in any of that negative stuff, but I was like, what are the sense doing? That's it. Pretty much that stuff. Even when something bad's happening, I try not to engage in that stuff either regarding the sense as much as possible. Yeah, well, it's it's sad. Even watching like after a loss and fans are like, oh, well, I guess we're getting Connor Bernard now. It's like we lost one game, you guys. Like, yeah. even good teams will get routed every so often. Toronto hasn't beaten Arizona this season. <laughs> like, this stuff happens. Yeah. Is and it you funny that to... Arizona is the one team that can always beat Toronto, though? I would like to know that. Somebody has to look it up historically what the win-loss record is between those two teams. Because I, uh, I think Elliot Friedman said, like, it's something stupid, like 8-1 Arizona over the last nine games. Like, just bonkers stuff. Wow. So we're going to move along and talk about the Ottawa Senators' first half recap. Now, coming into the season, Kevin, fans' expectations were sky-high following the acquisitions Pierre Dorian made in the offseason. However, the Ottawa Senators once again struggled in November, but has bounced back to having a 500 record at 18, 18, and 3. 
So I'd love to get your thoughts on the first half overall, and what kind of expectations do you think that fans should have on the Sens coming into the second half? Yeah, that's a really good question. Like, I remember everyone was saying everywhere, oh, they're going to be better this year. Even me, I'll be honest with you, because, you know, I'm a happy guy all the time, so I'm always think, obviously thinking, like, oh, they will do pretty well. But then I think a lot of a lot of the stuff that we forgot about was that right-handed defenseman that was missing right behind Zub. I think we overlooked that quite a bit, like, <laughs> because of how, uh, to be honest, Hamannick played great when he first came, you know, when he got traded to Ottawa. Like, we were like, oh, why do we trade a third-round pick? Like, this year there's a little bit of ups and downs. Holden's been a little bit inconsistent as well. Then we have injuries again to, like, our defensemen. Like, Zuba's out for quite a bit of time. So it's, like, players who should have been elevated to their to that particular role unfortunately got elevated to those roles. Like, Nikita Zaitsev, man, I feel if I were him, I feel bad for the guy. You know, like, we get, we'll praise him for a bit, or some people will praise him for a bit, and then they'll hate him just because of one play. And I'm like, bro, he's just a human being just like us. Isn't easy playing hockey, you know? Like, I... I can't skate as fast as him on the ice. So that's probably the big thing, the defensemen. Like, the goalies were struggling a bit, but the, the defense was the big issue on the right side, for sure. Yeah, and it's funny. But even going back to the right shot defenseman argument, it was that the Senators had a guy in mind, but they just were not willing to pay that price, right? They weren't willing to give up what Arizona wanted for Jacob Kittren. Mm-hmm. And also, I don't know if you guys remember when they traded Connor Brown, they got the pick back. And then I think Marino was still on the market at that time, I think. But I don't know what happened with that. Like, you would see on Twitter that they were interested in Marino, but nothing. And then you see what he's doing now. New, I'm not sure. Don't really follow New Jersey, but apparently during the beginning of the year, it was pretty good. So, mm-hmm. oh, that sucks for us. Well, my cousin's a diehard Devils fan, so he'll tell me all about it. But when you talk about guys like John Marino and some of the other right shot defensemen, I think the one thing that fans don't seem to factor in when it's just oh we should go after this player where do we should go after this player is ottawa on the place they want to go like because players have lists of like to trade they don't want to go here mm-hmm. what if ottawa's not on that list though that could factor a lot in. yeah because i would think business-wise they want to honor you know like what the players request is even if they don't have like no movement clauses yet or whatever they still want to treat them you know just like us oh if I were to get moved somewhere, like I would like to have some sort of a bit of input, you know, like I would prefer to get traded here, even though I may not have a no trade clause in my contract. I hope GMs are doing that. I would do that if I were a GM, honestly. That would be a great human way to treat players, even though it's a unfortunately like a business-minded, you know, thing, because you are paying people millions of dollars. But at the end of the day, they're human beings, right? They have the right to go where they want to or hear the, hear them out if they want to go to a particular place. Well, I remember, I believe it was Mark Mathot, or it might have been Bobby Ryan when he was on Wally Mathot. He taught, they talked about that, and they talked about how the players will talk about they want to go to a place that has, say, no state tax or weather or playing styles or whatever, right? So I do feel that the players do have a bit of input when it comes to it, but certain guys who are just bottom six depth guys, they don't have that option. It's just sort of, well, you're going to wherever, and you don't have a say. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. If but a guy like you. Marino, he has a say. Very much so. So one of the, like I said, I mean, fan expectations were sky high following the acquisitions. That could be summed up in three words. Hot Pierre Summer. Yes. I want to start by talking about Alex Debrinkit because I think he was one guy, when the Sens made that trade for the seventh pick, and I believe they threw a second in there and third as well. Yeah. I think my first reaction was, because I was, 
under the assumption we were going after like a Miro Heiskanen or a John Klingberg, like a right mm-hmm. shot defenseman. I think everybody was thinking that. And then all of a sudden, Alex DeBrinket just decides to come to Ottawa in that trade. And I know fans have been kind of weary about him when he first showed it because he wasn't exactly scoring at will like he was in Chicago, but he's putting up a lot of assists. So I want to get your take on him. Like, how do you feel about his play? And heading into the second second half, all the attention is going to be on a potential extension for him. Yeah, Alex DeBrinket, I would say, like, again, it's also how, how as, as we fans, I put a lot of pressure, like, just because the person scored, like, 40 goals recently, we're expecting that person to score 40 goals again. But then we forgot, or we forget that Patrick Kane is different than Tim Stutzla, or Josh Norris is different than Patrick Kane, right? But I would say it's a pretty good trade. Like, I remember, uh, I think I was on the road at that time, then I heard, we got the break for that price. I'm like, that's it? Like, for a 40-goal score, like, that's it? And then, because usually we'll see, you know, when Pierre Dorian makes trade, we sometimes give up too much for a trade, you know? Like, the, like I mm. mentioned earlier, like, the Hamannick tra- uh, trade should have been maybe for a lower pick if we wanted that to happen. But stuff like that, I'm like, that's it? So that sort of brought a shock to me then. Uh, how, how can I say this? Yeah, maybe just expectations for the fans like he was going to score a lot of goals. But at the end of the day, maybe he just has to change his role because he's on a new team, you know? Like, I don't know if you guys have uh, read Ian Mendes' article on The Athletic, and he has some pretty interesting stuff there. He's a pretty low-key yeah. guy. He doesn't uh, – very. I would say a pretty humble guy too. He's pretty low-key, right? So I would say that he may stick around because Ottawa is pretty much one of those low-key – I mean, there are habit fans like me who may want to get their autograph the odd time, but still respectfully, you know, but – it's different when they feel at home. And I hope he does feel at home here in Ottawa. Well, it was funny uh, reading the article and seeing that it took him a while to get his snack routine down. Yeah. And it, like, underrated point, the snack game between Canada and the U.S. is a lot more different than I was expecting it to be. Yeah. Or like the whole milk in a bag thing and we have milk in a carton, right? So yeah, that's another one. Yeah, I, I, didn't, I didn't get a chance to read that article. What exactly was he saying about his snack game, Tim? It was just saying like it took him a while to get like the right size bottle of ginger ale that he could drink after his nap or like getting used to. I think it was like chips were in a different bag or like colored bags and stuff like that. You know what? I did notice that the States, but I never really thought about it too much. And it's like, yeah, there is even a little bit of a culture shock going from the US to Canada. And also like the whole, I think he set his... uh... Uh, let's go temperature gauge at Fahrenheit for quite a bit. Now he's finally <laughs> changing over to Celsius. That's a we big got him. off, right? We got him. Yeah. <laughs> we got him at that point, at least. Yeah. Yes, all hail the metric system. I love it. Yes. Like I was yes. just in the states myself, and it's funny driving down the major highway, and you're seeing speed limit at sixty miles per hour, and I'm looking at my gauge, going like, it's in kilometers. Does yours not have the? Mo- the miles per hour on the interior? No, it's uh, digitally. I, I'm sure there's a way you could fiddle with it and try mm-hmm. and get it to work, but I haven't figured it out. Honestly, I just go by the rule of just follow the speed of the traffic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. In my car that we have uh, a Honda Pilot, uh, it has like both, like the kilometers first, obviously because it was built in Canada, but then the miles is like inside. It's sort of like a bit of an analog one, but you can still see it. It's just weird, you know, like... 100 kilometers equals 65. I was like, what, what? that doesn't make any sense to me. Then, like, <laughs> their other conversions make no sense either. Oh, my God. It's the worst. Like, even when I was in the States, I think my major gripe I have when I came back into Canada was P- 
people have no idea how to merge onto a highway in Canada, I've noticed. Because in the States, people are just like, they'll follow and they'll go in like nothing. It's so smooth. Here, it's like they almost stop. It's like, no, don't stop. You're supposed to speed up and get in. Yeah, that's right. You're supposed to like, I remember when I did my driving test, the instructor said, if the speed of the road is like, for example, it's 80, it's supposed to be 80. But then if you if they're traveling at 100, it's okay to overspeed for that bit. It's when you slow, when you once are in the lane, then you obviously, because for a driving test, you have to follow the speed limit. But like that sort of idea too, if you see that the car on your left is going fast and then there's like, if there's room behind them, then maybe you can try to get behind them. Like don't try to get too close to the end either because that's pretty dangerous. You don't want to get merged in or T-boned or whatever by a car. Not a good experience if you ever have to deal with that. No, I've always found that when you're when you see people merging onto a highway, you go from the right lane to the left lane, wait till they go in, and then get back in. Yeah, it's so easy. But what's kind of fun about uh, Debrinkit is, despite all these worries about him, guy's gonna have a career year in points. He's playing at a point of game pace. Yeah, and that's been probably the big thing I've been very happy about is that he is doing that. Now, when it comes to a contract extension, I know a lot of fans are throwing numbers out there like, is he going to get nine? Because that would be his RFA number. Is he going to get 10 million, 11? As a sense fan, Kevin, like, what would you be comfortable with giving Alex Debrinkit in his next deal? Now, this is the thing where sometimes as a fan, I struggle with like, who's the best fit for the team or what's the right amount of money? Because especially we don't even know the cap may only go up by a million dollars, according to what people have said, right? Like the insiders. So it's like, the player's valuable, but then do we have too many? I'm not saying like you have too many of Alex to bring him, but you have so many sort of quote unquote like pretty good players on our team. If you don't add too many either, I'm not saying like anything against the guy. Like it would be great if you can add him. It's the price that I'm concerned about because there's like Jake Sanderson coming up. Pinto's price may have gone down a bit because he sort of struggled a little bit, we can say. But you always have to think about like if you get the right handed defenseman, what's that contract going to be for that person? So that's that's the thing we have to consider as well. Like, yes, these eight million dollar deals may be a steal once uh, the the cap starts to go up again, like the way it was supposed to before COVID. But for now, it's hard, right? You don't uh, autos. I think not. They're not too too close to the cap, but they're pretty close to the top cap compared to like years on end, right? In the past, where you would be pretty, you know, cap floor, especially during the rebuild years. So yeah, I would say it's pretty hard. Maybe. 8 million as well is what I would say. Like 8 million sounds pretty good. When you start hitting like the 9, 10 millions, that's when it gets a little bit concerning for me. Because, I mean, yeah, we'll have a new ownership group, but we don't know what they'll like, if they even like that player, because you never know, Pierre Dorian's gone, right? Yeah, it's all going to depend on the next ownership. But I also think that the Ottawa Senators, and obviously I'm not part of the front office, I can't really say. I think they're looking at how Toronto was doing their salary cap where you have four guys making 44, 45 million between the four and thinking, okay, you're wondering why you can't afford defense. You can't afford a bottom six. You can't afford a good goaltender. They're probably looking at the sense because all of our big guys other than the Brinkett are all signed up under eight and 8.3. Yeah. So I think Pierre Dorian did a pretty good job with that, I would say. I know. God, I can't wait for Tim Stewart to be making eight million and he's just scoring like nothing. Yeah. Take that, everybody. Now, another big acquisition in the hot PR summer was the homecoming of Claude Giroux. And the one thing about Claude Giroux is as excited as I was, he was coming to Ottawa. I think I came in with very cautiously because he's 36, 
How much does he have left in the tank? He played very well in Philadelphia. He did play well in Florida when he was there, but you're coming into a new situation. You're coming into the twilight of your career. It's more of a, how are you going to play? So overall, like since his arrival in Ottawa, like how do you feel about Claude Giroux's tenure as an Ottawa Senator? Yeah, I would say I was pretty surprised. Like, yeah, I would have some expectations. Like he would do, you know, as much as he did back then, but you never know, right? Like what you said, new system, new team. I remember, I believe I, it was during Dev Camp that this happened. I was at the Senseplex, and then I would always look above where the restaurant is up there. And like, if Pierre Dorian's up there, I know he's busy because I believe that was the day he was busy, right? Preparing to sign. Claude Drew, then you see on Twitter, oh, he signed. Oh, and then you're like, concerned, what's the, the value, right? Six million. I'm like, not too bad, but you know, then you hear like the no trade clauses and all that. That was a bit, you know, not concerned, but like, you have to be aware of that, right? But ever since then, I think he's been a good role, good, perfect veteran for the team. We've been looking for those veterans for a long time. In all honesty, I wish they did that in the more earlier years of the rebuild, like the DeMellos or even keeping Mark Stone if you could have, right? That would have been great, but obviously we can't go back there anymore. But at least they're doing it now, better late than never. You know, I think that's a great way of uh, having especially more fans. Like, I hope they'll get more coverage from the Quebec side. I think that's one thing that they're still lacking. Like, I'm from here. Like, I don't, from Ottawa, sorry, I don't see a lot of, like, engagement with, like, the French side of, you know, for the Sens. Yeah, they'll sing the anthem in both languages here, but nothing really other than English, like, everywhere. Mm. Yeah, because that's something that even you've brought back, brought up in the past, haven't you, Tim? Yeah, like, I remember going across the, like, go across the river to hang up friends who lived in, like, Aylmer or Gatineau, and you'd never, I never saw a Sens ad on their, that side of the river. Yeah, I mean, now they have a lot of the English ones now, like the Ghost Sense Go, like they have one in a train station at the airport, even like near my place, they have it on a billboard. So it's good that they have that marketing in, in English. I, may, I think there may be some French ones. I haven't really checked because I don't really go to Ghana that often, but I wish they would get more engagement out there. Personally, mm. if I was from there, I would love to see more engagement, like especially capitalize on those who can speak French, like Shabbat, Joseph, Giroud, like get them out there. Let them engage with the fans over there in French, so then they can understand what they're saying, you know, because not everyone that's over there speaks English. Well, how much do you factor in the fact that Gatineau is in Quebec, where the Montreal Canadiens have such a stranglehold in that province? Yeah, that's probably a thing that throws it off, right? It's like across the river is a different province and a different city, but yet it's sort of part of that metropolitan Ottawa thing. Unlike Toronto, it's all Ontario, right? Like you have like, you know, Mississauga, Scarborough, Toronto, Vaughan, like, you know, it's all part of the same province this is what throws it off different province different rules different language so yeah it's just it's just a weird place that we live in you know like how ottawa's situated but yeah i wish they would get that's for me personally they would be nice mm. to get if they would get more engagement over there right and to the point about the montreal canadians having that stranglehold you can't loosen it if you don't try yeah and i'd just like to see more that's it even just the, the simplest thing, you know, like have uh, sort of what they have for the Red Blacks, like those quarterback clubs, you know, like once in a while you have the players or something, you know, like going to rest. I know it's different because I know it's the NHL, but that type of idea, like they have like people in the front office who can go and like talk to them in French. That would be great. Like sort of when Guy Boucher was around, that could have been another opportunity right there. Mm -hmm. Right. Because I know Claude Drew currently does uh, interviews both in English and French. Like, you'll see it on YouTube that they'll have, like, the chap chapters. And it's, like, Claude Drew English, Claude Drew French. Be nice if they can do more of that for their players. Like, all their players who speak English and French. 
Yeah, even if you do a fan fest in in Gatineau where you have the Matthew Josephs, the Claude Giroux, like you mentioned, and you do it in French, I think that would be, at putting Tim's point, it would be a good to get that stranglehold off of Quebec with Montreal. And you have that Slush Puppy Arena. That's just a great <laughs> name, man. Or the Centre, the Slush Puppy. That's a great name. It'd be awesome that you have it there. That'll be that's what I would do. But I mean, I don't have the money for just people who just yap all day about it. But I, that's what I would do if I was in the authority to do it. Okay, here's a side question though. It's not part of the rundown. Who do you think has the best name though? Smoothie King Center or Slush or uh, Slush Puppy Arena? Oh, see, that's tough, right? Hmm. I like the Slush Puppy. I don't know. It's like there's something different about it. Too. It's like. It really translates well in English and French, right? Like it's Slush Puppy Center in English and Santa the Slush Puppy. It sounds really good. That's just for me. Yeah. How about you, Tim? I think I prefer Santa the Slush Puppy. Yeah. It yeah. I, sounds I got, very I fun in the Quebecois accent, too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's funny because where the Smoothie King Center is hidden, it's in New Orleans where you have a large population of Louisiana that speaks Cajun, which is essentially a form of French. One of the reasons I brought that up, actually. (laughs) (laughs) To go back to the hot Pierre summer, another acquisition that actually kind of went under the radar for a lot of people was the acquisition of Cam Talbot for Philip Gustafson. And I don't think a lot of fans really thought Cam Talbot was coming to Ottawa because the Wild had re-signed Marc-Andre Fleury. He announces, okay, I'm one out. A couple of days later, Pierre Dorian pulls the trigger. Now, when it comes to Cam Talbot, like overall, excluding the Kraken game, obviously, how do you yeah. feel that he's played as an Ottawa signer? I would say he's just been, there's some inconsistencies, but there are some games where he plays really well. Like, I'd rather have him than Matt Murray, honestly. You know, like Matt Murray's weakness was the high glove all the time. At least with this guy, someone who, yeah, when he was in Edmonton, probably wasn't able to help Edmonton to the next level, per se. But it's a really good veteran for what we have now. And you have a good tandem with Anton Forsberg, too, you know. That's what I would say. That's a good uh, thing to have, like, a veteran who can help another veteran who was, a you know, more of a career backup or AHL guy, but proved himself later on. Yeah, I would say Cam Talbot, that was a bit of a surprise. Like, even Sense Talk, for him personally, Brandon Plant, he would say that's probably the biggest acquisition the Sense made, like, adding that veteran goalie. It just sucks that Gus the Bus or Philly franchise is doing, I think he's doing pretty well in the wild right now, but sometimes you have to make those moves, you know, like the guy who just wasn't working here. Sometimes you have to make the trade. Yeah, it was unfortunate because when you watch him last season, out of all the goalies we had, he definitely was the one that was very inconsistent when he got called up. So, but I also feel like was, there was a bit of a log jam. And so mm-hmm. when you have a guy like that, especially the way Anton Forsberg played last year, where he played so well for us, yeah. And you're like, okay, well, let's roll the dice and bring a veteran goalie in. Let's see if we can make this work. Yeah. So I do see where Pierre Dorian's coming from from that. Especially when, you know, you have your hot summer. Yeah, you better, you know, <laughs> make sure your goalies are pretty decent, right? Exactly. So coming into the season, a major story lighting involving our existing roster was the free agency status of Artem Zoop. And Ottawa rewarded him four years, $18.4 million contract. Overall, what's your thoughts on the deal? To be honest, I think that's a steal of a deal for someone who want like you know for a right-handed defenseman. I think I was listening to TSN 1200. They had a, a in the box segment with Dean Brown, and they were saying that Anton Volchenkov's difference in contract for staying here in Ottawa was around two hundred and fifty thousand dollars, 
And apparently the guy who would help him with, uh, you know, language barrier stuff in Ottawa was great. But then once he moved to New Jersey, the guy wouldn't help him at all for like uh, dental appointments or doctor's appointments. So that could be another factor that fans don't realize mm. that maybe the language barrier or like how we appreciate the guy so much, you know, even though he may have when he first came, he didn't know how to speak English probably, but like he's improved his English ever since, right? He's committed to learn the language. But then at the same time, if the team was willing to help him with that barrier, like if he had to book appointments for his wife or the newborn, I know they had a baby pretty uh, pretty recently, right? Like, you know, months ago. So maybe that's another factor that we didn't realize. And that's Mark. I think it's below market value, honestly, for that type of player. Because I think it's like, what, five or six million per year yeah. for a guy like that? If you can get him for, four, again, tidy business by Pierre Dorian. Really good signing for four years, too. It's so good. And, and you're absolutely right. I mean, a right shot shutdown defenseman, that's five, six million. That's what like Nicholas Johnerson was making in Chicago. I do got to make one comment about Artem Zub. So I did not know this until today. Did you know he has an order of friendship in Russia? What? <laughs> what? This isn't no, if you <laughs> legit, if you look up Artem Zub on Google under about there is an award it says order of friendship huh hmm. yeah i did not think that was a thing it says the order of friendship strengthening friendship and cooperation between peoples hmm. yeah i even just searched it out even ian mendes mentioned it in his article in That's 2021 me. well you see how friendly of a guy he is like even when uh just him appreciating you know when Thank uh for for ottawa signing him up like when you that that interview i think i probably watched it so many times because you know, like the way he sometimes he may not get like the question that Claire Hannah is saying, but the way that he'll answer it, like he's trying to put his effort into responding, even though he may have a bit of struggle. So especially when you hear his name, like even I'm there, I would always yell his last name and you would hear you can even hear it on the TV screen. Like, the zoom. <laughs> yeah, I know. I've done that in Vancouver when they played last season. Zoom touched the puck and I hit a zoom and there was probably like seven or eight other sense fans in my section that all started doing it. Canucks yeah, fans are looking at us going like, what is your guys' deal? Like, Why are you yelling Zoob? Or they'll think that we're saying boo, but no, we're not. No. That's only when the Canucks score. That's different. <laughs> <laughs> so another big storyline coming into the season was the debut of 2020 fifth overall draft pick, Jake Sanderson. Overall, I watched Sanderson and I cannot believe this kid's a rookie. Like, He looks like such a seasoned pro out there. He looks like he's he, he's going to be a guy who's going to dominate this blue line for so many years. And I got to ask the question, like, overall, how what has been your thoughts on his first half so far? Yeah, I would say surprised, honestly. Like, you would always hear, you know, like, especially on Twitter, like, the especially, like, the, the locked-on guys would always talk about him. And then I would see his games from UND when he was there. Like, he looks good, but you never know, right? Will it translate well into the pros? And he didn't even go to the AHL either, like, we don't want. We didn't want to think of another situation like what happened to Cody CC or those other players who got right into the NHL. I'm not saying like that they're the, those type of players, but you know when you rush them too much. But in this case, he looks fine. Like honestly, he like it's like a missing puzzle piece. He just fits in right, right there, like perfectly. So Tim, do you have any questions you want to throw into the first half recap before we head off into the games? No, I think we hit most of the major points. I think so, man. Well, guys, that wraps up the first half recap, which can mean only one thing. Sam Tark talking about some games. Now, we got three games on the schedule. We've got the Sabres versus the Sens, Blue Jackets versus the Sens, 
And unfortunately, the Kraken versus the Sens. But before we do that, let's hit the music. Time to play the game. Time to play the game. Okay, guys, let's start talking about this. Sabres versus the Senators. This is a three to one Senators victory. The lone Sabres goals are scored by Zygmunt Gurgensen. Sens goals are scored by. Tim Stutzla with two, and Jake Lucchini with his first NHL goal. Shots were 34-32 for the Sabres. Tim Stutzla opens the scoring to make it 1-0 Senators, cleaning up the rebound. Zygmunt Gurgison breaks through the defense and makes a nice move on Forsberg to get Buffalo on the board to tie it at one. Jake Lucchini scores his first NHL goal to make it 2-1 Senators, and Tim Stutzla scores on the empty net to make it 3-1 Senators, which would be the final. So I had to condense watch this game, and the big reason why I was in Seattle, Washington, to see an old friend, Jean Gabriel Pajot. Oh, I thought you were going to say a place that takes American Express. <laughs> yes, and actually, I want to quickly talk about Pledge because you know it's funny, Kevin. This is one of the things that Tim and I always talked about on the show was that Tim got himself an American Express card, and he actually showed me the card. The thing is heavy too; it's unbelievable. But then he goes to like restaurants and places in Calgary and he finds out they don't accept it. Womp womp. Womp womp is exactly it. Hey, I had a good week with the Amex this week. Every oh, place I went took it, even the bubble tea place next to my house. Nice. So, Excellent. You know what? Amex is doing its work. So before we get into talking about this game, and obviously we'll get you to talk about your experience because you were actually at this game, Kevin. I do quickly want to talk about that game in Seattle versus the Kraken and the Islanders. Climate Pledge Arena. I've been in, into Rogers Arena in Vancouver. I've been to the outdoor game in Ottawa. I got to say Climate Pledge is one of the nicest arenas. And I'm talking at like every level of hockey I've ever seen. It's one of the nicest arenas I've ever been in. Because you go in and of course, if you've ever been to Seattle... The one thing a lot of people tend to forget when you come into the city and you see Climate Pledge for the first time is that the arena itself is actually a historic site because it was built for the World's Fair in the 60s. So basically, the city of Seattle, they deemed it a historic site, so they couldn't demolish the building. So what they did, they kept the exterior, they demolished the interior and built the arena within. And it's very cool. I mean, if you see Kraken games on TV or see any of the pictures, I can't do it justice as how nice it was, like the double screen and everything that you have around. And it was funny because one of the pictures I saw on the screen was Climate Pledge Arena accepts Amex card and you get 10% off. And I took a snap of that sent to Tim and I was like, Tim, look, a place that gets accepts Amex. And you get a discount on top of it. And That's a epic. discount. Yeah. 10%. Let's go. And I was here in Canada, or like in Ontario, it's like, you know, 13% tax here. So like, Get a bit of tax off, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, you know what's funny? Like, you know, for you guys, like when you go to, say, the Saddle Dome or you go to Canadian Tire Center, you know, they have the scoreboard, obviously, and they'll have like, you know, the shots and penalties and whatever. Climate Pledge goes like a step or two forward because they understand CL is a brand new market for the NHL. Their two screens have the lines up, the ice time, the shots, the goals. They have close captioning for, for the, for the uh, hearing impaired. the stuff that they do is just so cool. And I'm like, and even walking around the city of Seattle, just they're marketing that team perfectly in that city. You go anywhere in that city, 
every bar, every place has crack and stuff everywhere. It's amazing. There we go. That's good for the NHL. Like they're marketing it and mar- marketing it properly. Yeah. Well, it's like the context of Seattle too is like they they haven't gotten a new team since their big guy, like the Supersonics, left. Right. So. Yeah, they're making sure that they get the fan base built strong this time. And it's cool to have like two jumbotrons. And I know it's like it's a it's a it's differently placed too, right, Taylor? It's not like the way that's usually in the uh, regular arenas. Like in the CDC, is just in the middle, right? But I know that one's a bit really unique. The two screens there. Like I'll even send you the picture here because it's over both the offensive and defensive zones. Like it is very very cool, but. It's funny, if you were to ever see pictures of what Climate Pledge used to be like before the renovations or everything, if you remember when the Islanders played at Barclay Center, remember when they had the scoreboard over the blue line? Yeah. That's essentially what it looked like when the Thunderbirds were there. Like, it was just brutal. But I'm going to see if I can quickly bring this up because I can't. There we go. Yeah, because I cannot do it justice. It's so cool. Now, let's get talking about this game. Now, I under, now, Kevin, I know that you were at this game, so we're going to let you kick this one off. Like, First of all, how was the fan experience in Ottawa with Buffalo coming to town? Yeah, I would say it's pretty uh, intense, pretty cool. Then I remember, guys, I was already sitting down for, you know, when Dylan announced the visiting team's starting lineup. When they mentioned Craig Anderson, there's still fans cheering. So that's when you know that that, that player had a really good contribution to the team, like, you know, when there's, like, players who had controversy, you would, like, boo from But Craig Anderson, no, like, we were, like, hyped up for him. Yeah, the crowd was pretty good. It's New Year's Day. It's a Sunday evening. Um, The thing I was really looking forward to is, like, hopefully Otto would have, like, good starts because we know that they always have tendencies to, you know, like, uh, give up two goals or whatever. So it's, like, when they scored it in the first minute, I'm like, this is good. But there was a bit of struggles in the first, if I remember right. Like, they were being outshot at first. Like, Ottawa was outshooting Buffalo. But then after all, Buffalo started coming back a bit more. So it's like, it's going to be one of those games, I think. But then, I believe, who was the goal? I think it was, was it Forsberg or Talbot? I think it was, it was Forsberg. Forsberg. It was Forsberg, right? Yeah, because it was the back-to-back. That's right. Yeah. So I'm like, if he's making saves like this, I think we're pretty good. Yeah, the first goal was pretty cool. And then especially seeing Jake Lucchini score his first NHL goal, like, like, I wasn't able to see it, like, that close because I was on the other side of the arena. I was more towards where the sense shoot twice. Like, I like to view it like I'm watching on TV. So, like, I'm more towards where the sense score twice. So, just seeing his facial reaction after the game or on Twitter, I'm like, okay, this is legit. Like, he's the same age as me, 27 years old, gets called up to play in the NHL. Maybe that's the only chance he'll get. Hopefully not. He's been playing pretty decently, in my opinion. Mm. But to see him score and show that facial reaction... And then you see how, like, I think it was the first NHL game that he had, like, the players gave him the goggles. So that's pretty cool that they still acknowledge the person for that. Because, right? And, again, Tim Stutz, I think it was the five on three. I think if I remember, yeah, this this is the game where he had the five. Was it this or the next game? I might have been screwing it up. But you can see that he gave, uh, DJ Smith gives Tim Stutz the time on the penalty kill. I noticed that during the last few games that I've been attending. It wasn't like that before, I would say. That I really didn't notice. So another question I do want to ask about, because given that you did see the Buffalo Sabres, like how were the Sabres fans? I've always wanted to ask somebody about what they're like when they come to Ottawa, because you always hear about when the Leafs go to Buffalo or Montreal goes to Buffalo. It's always, you know, the Leafs or the Hab fans outnumbering them. Like what were the Sabres fans like coming into hostile territory in Ottawa? To be honest, I didn't really notice them. Honestly, I didn't really notice them. 
Like, actually, a church friend of mine, I saw him after the game. I didn't know he was a Buffalo fan. <laughs> so I, <laughs> I told him, do you remember when Alfie scored in 2007? And he's like, he didn't even talk to me. Like, he, he said no comment. I'm like, I'm like, okay, I think I may have triggered something with him after the game. But <laughs> but still, I, I didn't really notice them. On, but I would see them, like, from the 300s because, you know, there's obviously more fans. Of you know, like, when they were starting to lose, they would go down. But they weren't really rowdy, like, compared to, like, the Habs game that I went to last year with uh, the Gallagher and Stutzla debacle, that was crazy. Like, it wasn't like that at all. Yeah, and I think a lot of that probably has to do with the fact that the Sabres haven't been very good very long. But when I think of the Sabres fans, I don't know if you know who Melanie Martin is. She's a YouTuber. She does a lot of – she's a singer-songwriter. She does a, stuff, a lot of stuff for the Buffalo Sabres. And I remember when COVID hit, she did a video where she did a – it was a tribute to I Will Miss You by the Rolling Stones, but it's called Sports I Miss You. And she used the clip of Jason Pominville knocking Ottawa out in 2006. And I saw that and I put in the comments, I said, you know, I was having such a great time enjoying the song until this moment happened. Underneath, I went, it's fine. It's fine. You know, Alfie redeemed himself the next year. And she replies going, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, there you go. <laughs> so I didn't I didn't mean to do that to my the friend of mine, but still, that was pretty funny to see it then because his mom was there too. And the mom's like, yeah, you may have like she didn't say one, like, yeah, may have triggered something. Yeah, I do want to actually talk about Jake Lucini here for a second, because you did mention it was his first NHL goal at the age of 27. I'm going to say right now, I think this guy needs to be a member of the all-name team. Because Lucini is such a great last name. Yeah, and it's pretty weird. Like you know, there's uh Travis uh Luch on oh, a no, Travis uh Milan Lucci trade, but it has the same beginning. So I still say Luch, even though he's not the original Luch, because it makes <laughs> sense, right? Yeah, yeah but we got the better ones, so. Oh, absolutely, yeah. That's true. It's it's, it's sort of like the big rig. Sorry, with uh, Chris Phillips, you know, like it is. I think it's Patrick Maroon that says he's the original. I'm like, no, not in Ottawa. If you come to <laughs> Ottawa, there's still a restaurant named after Chris Phillips' nickname. So no. Not in my book. Yeah. So on the topic of Jake Lucini and the all-name team, like I know I'm kind of putting you on the spot here, but do you have a specific name of an NHL player that when you think of an all-name team, you would put on that list? Jeez. The only thing I can remember, I mean, it's not an NHL player. I don't know if you guys remember during COVID, there was the Czechia player that was named Ivan Ivan. When Gord Miller posted on Twitter, I had to say that's a pretty cool name to have your first name and your last name this name. It's like, oh, Ivan passes the puck to this guy, but then it's like, is that the first name or the last <laughs> name? So that's also, that's the only one I can think of because it's on the spot. So I'll just go with a world junior guy. Give a shout out to Czechia. Oh, that's a good one. I like that. I know the one that a lot of people catch people off guard is Jim Carrey. The oh, the net Catholic. detective. The net detective. Mm. So this is a true story, Kevin. If Tim was sitting here right now in his wallet, if I'm not mistaken, you still have that Jim Carrey card, don't you? Yeah, I think I have it taped somewhere because it's starting to get a bit damaged just to hold it together. But yeah, I have a hockey, a McDonald's hockey card from like 1997 from when the Washington Capitals made a surprise run to the Stanley Cup finals on the back of the play of Jim Carrey. On this, in the same year that Ace Ventura Pet Detective came out. Mm. So they started calling him Net Detective. <laughs> oh, God, that's such a good one. I'm just trying to think of other names I'd put on that list. Oh, my God. I'm going to have to think about this now because it's really driving me crazy because there's some really good ones. 
Yeah, this could be a good segment for your next episode, eh? Like, oh, to yeah. ask the fans, like, what's your favorite, like, interesting names that you can add to the all-name team? Oh, or all-time, it doesn't matter what NHL, uh, not NHL, any hockey league you can think of, like mine. Like, couldn't think of anything, so I went out to go with Ivan Ivan. <laughs> Yo, let's do, can we just steal that idea right now and pop it out? Uh, people on Twitter or Instagram reply with uh, your nomination for the all-name team, and yeah. uh, we'll build one next episode of Third Line Plugs. Yeah, yes. go for it. Go for That's it. That's an amazing it. idea. Okay, I'm putting that. I'll we'll put that on Twitter after this episode comes up because, oh, it's going to be so good. Now, I do want to talk about one guy in particular, Anton Forsberg. The guy had 33 saves, a .971 save percentage. Even though I did condense this game, I thought he looked pretty good. Yeah, looked really good in that game. A lot of 10-bell saves. I believe even the second period, if I remember right, he made a lot of saves. Yeah, the one I can for sure is that he absolutely robbed Tage Thompson on multiple yeah I think you're right yeah that's right he has 30 already like it's amazing does he have any against us or no I'm just curious he does I think Tage I think Tage scored against us in the last game if I'm not mistaken I might be wrong but I think that's true that's the sort of thing that on Twitter too. You see, like the jokes, like, "Oh, he doesn't score against Otto, but against everybody else, he has." <laughs> well, that's a good thing for us, though. But like, you know, that's some quirky things that we have, you know, for Ottawa. So, guys, are you ready to head off into the second game of the evening? Yeah, let's do her. Yeah, Blue Jackets. There's a Senators. This is a four to nothing Senators shutout victory. Senators were scored by Derek Broussard, Tim Stutzla, Drake Batherson, and Austin Watson. Shots were thirty three. 30, sorry, shots for 34-22 for the Senators. Derek Broussard opens the scoring to make it 1-0 Senators, tipping the Jake Sanderson point shot. Tim Sutsa scores to make it 2-0. Drake Batherson scores top shelf to make it 3-0. And Austin Watson scores in the empty net to make it 4-0 Senators, which would be the final. So once again, like the Sabres game, I had to condense this one, not because I was in Seattle, but because I was traveling from Portland, Oregon, Back to Seattle that day. Mm. You know what? Yeah, it was a very good game for the Senators, but I was expecting a bit more out of a team with Johnny Goudreau. But then I looked at their D and I was like, maybe I shouldn't have expected much out of there with a top line defenseman, Eric Gabranson. <laughs> Don't get Ottawa me wrong. Le- Ottawa legend. <laughs> Ottawa legend. And they're paying that guy four by four too, eh? Yeah. God, what okay, which contract do you think is worse, Erica Branson or Rasmus Ristolainen? Risto, yeah, I would say Risto as well. Like six by six, Obama. You, yeah. you know what I think of Tim is remember when the Flyers made that trade to acquire him, and you and I were talking, and you were just like, they they gave up what for him? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a that's a fun thing. If any of our listeners want to go back and listen to some of our really old episodes, is listen to some of the opinions we had back then about like the Rusalainen trade, the Matt Duchene trade to Ottawa. There's some gems in there. <laughs> so yeah, that's the thing about this game. I mean, I don't have much to say because I didn't really get a chance to watch it because it was condensed. I do love the fact that Drake Batherson's shot. Oh, yeah. There's no way that that goalie was stopping that. No. Yeah, I would say it's more. It was a trap game as well because Columbus is a lot worse than Ottawa, especially like 
Uh, Tim was mentioned that their defense, like I didn't even recognize some of their names. And even like that Robertson guy that they were mentioning during the game too, because uh, Columbus had a pretty good first period. Like honestly, like they actually like Ottawa could have scored goals, but he didn't. But then after the second period onwards, it's like total domination by Ottawa. So it's sort of, sort of like we were sort of like, if you know it's going to be a trap game, we're like, we should be blowing out these guys. But then we still forget that these are still NHL caliber players, right? There are times where, like we were mentioning earlier about Arizona beating Toronto. Same thing here. That could have happened, but yeah. thank goodness it didn't. Yeah, and honestly, uh, Jonas Corpusalo played about as well as he really could have. Like, yeah. that, I really, it. it's funny that I almost wonder if the Gaudreau thing was a bit of a monkey's paw where, y- yeah, you signed this guy and then you have to dump all Oliver Bjorkstrand for nothing to fit him under. And then you can't really do much on your back end. And then, unfortunately, Texier had to return to France for personal reasons. And you've got a team that is just a nightmare. Yeah, like, well, I, even people were saying that they shouldn't be making it to the playoffs, right? But it's like they got worse. <laughs> Worse. Yeah, that whole thing with Goudreau to Columbus, I think that was a total, like, way out of left field thing. Because, like, everybody knew he was going to the East Coast. That was not out of the question. It was just a matter of, is he going to Jersey? Is he going to Philly? Is he going to the Islanders? Yeah, He's going to none of them. He's going to Columbus. It's just so funny. I want to be close to my family. Not that close. Yeah, the New Jersey thing or the Islanders thing was the one that a lot of people were thinking of, right? Because that should have been the one, but nope. Yeah, well, you know what, though? Even like after the Max Domi comments about when he was a Blue Jacket, I don't think his family's going to go see him in Ohio either. <laughs> so I do want to make one comment here before we hit off the crack again. It's something that I failed to mention during the Sabres game. The Sens wore their reverse retros. And That's right. I want to get your take on these, Kevin, because I've seen them in person and I've seen them on TV. I'm very much of the opinion that I'm just sort of mid on it. Yeah, I would say the same thing as well. Like a lot of people like wanted the laurels, but then if you're looking at what jersey they're referring to, they're referring to the red one. That makes sense, right? Because it's the red that's being featured on the jersey. So Saying that the laurel should have been there is not really a valid argument if you think about the colors that were used. But it would have been nice if they used the black one instead, honestly. But it wouldn't really be a reverse retro because, right, we don't usually use red anymore as our home jersey. Yeah, the only thing I would say I like is the numbers because it brings back a lot of great memories mm-hmm. for me. Like when you see like, I think it was beside someone or, yeah, beside someone in, for the next game that we'll be talking about. He was wearing like a, a chuck one. I'm like, that looks so cool with the... The, the font is just what gets me. So that's probably the one thing I like is the font. I wish like that middle part had a bit more color. It's not just, that's that's the thing. Yes. Like everyone's I, saying they wanted to add white. Like I, I know it was like sense talk or other people were like randomly filling in something with that thing to be a little bit different. That's probably the one thing for me. But it's middle. Some people say it's horrible. I'm like not really. There are worse ones out there than that. But everyone's entitled to their own opinion. So yeah. Honestly, I when I look at it, and I've made the comments here on the show, that the swoosh part, I really like because it really brings back the old memories. I just think if they had, if they outlined it in white, yeah, just that little touch, it would really make it pop. But the thing is, you look at it and you're like, the red completely gets washed out on TV when you see it. You just think, yeah. oh yeah, it's just a black jersey with, 
you know, longer reds on the shoulders or the sleeves. Here's the question. Which one's better, the reverse retro, the first one or this one? This one's better. This yeah, one. I would, same thing, right? So there's some that say the other one, I'm like, not even close. This one is a lot better. Like, yeah, I don't understand. This one was definitely of, yeah, we just don't, we don't care. Yeah. You know what? Next time, just bring back the Senegal. Yeah. But I like the way that they, like, it makes sense because like the Senegal was on the front, right? So they did flip it. So that yep. makes sense because it is reverse retro. So flip it. So that's, I remember when the leaks were coming out for the jersey, like, how come Ottawa's is so plain? Like, I remember, I don't know if you guys remember when the leaks were going on on Twitter. Right. They were like, right? Remember people were like, maybe the lo- that the t-shirts would give a message to what the, uh, what's it called, the logo would be. So some people are like, is it going to be the Senegal? Because they're just using the same logo that we have now. So now we see why. Like, it, retrospectively looking back, now we see why. They just literally switch what what's our our logo over here down there. You know, so, but yeah, the Senegal needs to come back somehow, man. I'm telling you, the Senegal and the O, like, I love those two. No difference for me on those two. So, be yeah. nice to see those back. I in mean, jerseys. you know, it's funny. You, we were talking about jerseys that they looked horrible in the leaks. I've got one in my closet, and I'm going to quickly bring this up because you think of jerseys that got railroaded on Twitter. The yeah. Sub-row. Remember when these things were introduced and everybody was like, what the hell is that? Yep. Yep. And you went to the game. You were mentioning it earlier. I was there too. They look so good out there. I actually bought one that night. Yeah, that's where I actually bought that at the team store in. uh, There it is. Yeah. Mine somewhere back there in the background that you guys saw earlier. So it's interesting because my girlfriend's parents actually got me a shadow box for Christmas. And I'm seriously considering putting that in there with this. Mm, yeah, not a bad I have idea. a signed Radic Bonk jersey in my closet. That's the one that I'm really like. You know what? A signed Bonk jersey is cool, but if I lose this, I could never replace this. Yeah, and you got to experience that like me. That's really m- memorable. And then I think Rogers had like a promo at the time because they were still, I think they were the, you know, they were starting to become the new sponsors for the NHL thing for broadcasting. I was like one of the VIPs there because they have a thing with Rogers members. So I got to go in the during the sense practice one time, I actually see them up close, like go next to the ring. So that was pretty cool. Freezing cold, but pretty cool. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't right? have to go through that again. I'll tell yeah. you. That part. No, but like just the experience itself was great. Even though our team was unfortunately bad at the time, but to still get the win against the Habs says everything that we want that win. Right. Yeah. Now speaking of bad games, unfortunately we've got to go on to the third and final game of the evening. Kraken versus senators. This is an eight to four Kraken victory. Kraken's goals are scored by, like, like, does it even really matter? It was so one-sided. Let's be honest. It's tough, though, because, like, if the Ottawa Senators could have collectively bought a save, I think they would have won that game. Yeah. No, I completely agree with that. But the thing is, is that it's so deflating when the Kraken just throw it at the goalie and it goes through. Yeah. Like, yeah, that's the problem. If you have, like, a 50% save percentage at some point of the game, it's unfortunate because it definitely overshadows a fantastic effort by the top line, especially Tim Stutzla. And very good games from Shabbat, Zub, and Sanderson. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, continue. Yeah, yeah. So I was going to say that, I think it was Ian Mendes after the game was like, what would you trade any of your goals for, you know, say like for a better game? It's like, yeah, absolutely. Like 
when the hats were being thrown, like he wasn't really showing a lot of emotion after the game. And another thing that took me for a surprise was how low the shot count was. That's what threw me off. I'm like, what? Like this, that's, that's not supposed to happen for either team. Like usually it's like, you know, 30 to 40, right? Typically I'm like, was it 24 to 20? At one point it was like 24 to 23. I know it was like that low of a number. It was pretty crazy. Yeah. And that's credit to both Ottawa and Seattle to playing very good structured hockey. It was just unfortunate that every mistake Ottawa made, like a puck hopping hammock stick goes somehow from the side of the net in. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, unfortunately, it is what it is. Now, Kevin, I understand that you were also at this game. Now, given that the Seal Kraken are the newest NHL franchise, like, what were the Kraken fans like in Ottawa? Yeah, there were some, like when uh, the DJ, it was DJ Prosper had like his intermission uh, stuff. You would see like the odd... A Kraken jersey there. You would hear them cheering. Again, still not like the Toronto and the Leafs, you know, Toronto and uh, Montreal games where people are really avid about it. But it's really cool to see that team. I also saw them last year as well, the Kraken. And I was at this game, like, the I was at the TSN 1200, a Bell Media tailgater suite, like in the 400 levels. 400 level, and it was pretty cool view that I saw. Like, honestly, like, it's even more higher than the 300s. Really enjoyed it. A bit scary because me and my dad, because I brought my dad with me, uh, we were like in front of the glass. So it feels like almost feels like someone's pushing you from behind because of the way that the chair is set up. But other than that, it's a nice view. No, I do get to ask, given that you were in the TSN 1200 suite, like, did you get a chance? To, I know you met Dean Brown, but did you get a chance to meet like Jamie McLennan or anybody else who was at the game that night? Yeah, so JR was there. Like, I'm, uh, I met most of them. Like, sometimes when I go to the games, like, I'll go by Section 113 and say hello, hello to, like, Lieber Sage, AJ Jackabek, because they usually do, like, their pre- and post-game shows there, but I mostly go for the pre-game show. They weren't really there, actually. It was only JR that I saw there. But it was pretty cool to be up there just to, you know, see where the press area is. Like, it was the other way instead of the way that we went, but to still see where the people go up for the 400 levels was pretty cool. Like, you see, like, old pictures, like, old jerseys, like, I think I saw a Rangers jersey up there for some reason. Sort of like a historical thing up there. So, pretty cool. Yeah, I was going to say, I think the Rangers jersey might even be Gretzky's from this last It week. might be, yeah. I just didn't get to read it because, you know, I, I came there pretty early. You just want to arrive there, relax, go there early. Because it was a full, another thing we haven't mentioned is the attendance. Pretty packed barn. Yep. Packed barn. Yeah, I don't know if you follow, I believe it's NHL attendance on Twitter. And the Senators, I think, were second that night. It was like 106% capacity. Yeah, something like that. That's right, yeah. Because, yeah. I mean, now we're much better in attendance now. So that that can go down to waste when people make fun of us. That doesn't exist anymore. As much as it, it still happens from time to, time to time, but not as much as it used to. Yeah, yeah well, even looking at the pictures on Twitter of the game tonight, it's just like, ugh. but I do. It looks this- pretty full. Sorry, I've got the game on the background and uh, just last minute and you're starting to see seats empty out as people are going to concession, but still looks pretty full. Yeah. yeah. And it's a Monday night. Yeah, that's fair. I do want to say one thing about the Kraken, given that I was at the game on New Year's Day, is that the Kraken fans, especially in Seattle, I've been to Canucks games, I've been to hockey, other arenas, in the, or I've been to other games in the past. I don't think I've seen a fan base that's that engaged. And it's probably is because they're brand new to it. It's so exciting. You get to the NHL team finally came to Seattle, but even like the fan engagement was great. The intent, you know, everything was just so good about the Kraken fan base there and everything they're doing, I think is fantastic. But the senators themselves, this is one thing I've really noticed this year is that they're doing a lot more theme nights 
especially in this night, because it was WWE night. Now, given that you were in the 400, did you get a chance to meet Dolph Ziggler when he was there or no? No, I actually didn't because <clears throat> they said on Twitter was he would, you can get to meet and greet with him for the first 50 people. And honestly, I'm not really into wrestling. I sort of just won the tickets and just landed that it was WWE night. But if it was something that I was into, like I would have like tried my best to arrive like really early to meet the guy. But unfortunately, not into uh, wrestling. But it's pretty cool, though. Like they were trying to promote it for more people because it was supposed to happen earlier in the year. I think it was supposed to happen in November or something like that. But schedules change. And then uh, Lee Versace, who does like a wrestling podcast for 1200, said that they were supposed to invite other people. But then on the new date, they couldn't come. So sort of got derailed, we can say. But. If they do that more, if they're able to bring stars into the games, that would be great. Like when Ryan Reynolds, I was there for that game. That was epic. Like, oh, he's coming to the game. And then like everyone gave like a standing O. Like you won't expect a first celebrity like that, right? But it happens. Well, when he is going to become our future. <laughs> you can't really... I do get a comment though, because it was WWE night. Like I myself am into wrestling. I got a chance to watch all elite wrestling in Seattle this past week. And I know that when Craig Medogli was on, he, he we talked about there's a wrestler in the company called Evil Uno, who actually is, I think he is from Ottawa itself. He's a big Sense fan. He tried to get him involved with the Sens years ago. It just didn't work out. So I think that could be another good opportunity. If AEW, say, comes to Ottawa, they could do night because you have a Sens fan that's on that roster right there. Yeah, and I got, they give like a fanny pack and I came early enough. It looks really nice, the fanny pack that they gave out. Me and my dad got one each, so... Just keep on doing stuff like that, more marketing like that. People will come to the games, especially if it's like uh, people that are relatable to like auto, like what you're saying. Like I was at the skills competition mm-hmm. and Jamie Lee Rattray and uh, Rebecca Leslie being there, both from Ottawa, both women playing for, you know, national teams. That's what we need to see more of, like stuff that's related to Ottawa, marketed well. People will come. Yeah, well, I think it's next week. I think they're doing a country night in Ottawa. Yeah, yeah. And apparently they also have a tailgater for the radio station for that section up there too. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. So the one big comment I really want to make on this game, other than the WWE night, did you get a chance to see when the glass popped out and that fan got hit in the up front? Yeah, I just because the game, you know, they were we were really losing some sort of losing a bit of interest. But then when I when we heard like that sound, I'm like, what happened? And then like the people were trying to fix the glass. It was just cool, the after stuff, again, I didn't get to see it until I got home. Like, like the guy, the little boy who got hurt, like, Brady Kachuk gave a stick to him, and then the TSN guys let him go in their suite, and apparently he had an interview with them on the day that this is being recorded on the radio, I believe. it was He was interviewed this morning. So, despite of the bad situation that happened, a kid gets interviewed. And I also forgot to mention that uh, I think it was Vince Dunn's family was there. They had a box. I didn't notice that. I'm like, how come they have like this big, you know, image of a guy? It was actually him, his family, because I didn't know again, because, you know, you're in the game, so you don't notice that stuff. I'm like, oh, that's cool. Like family members of a, of, a, of a player are there and they cheer loud. So that's probably the one Seattle thing that I pretty much noticed during the game. Yeah. And they, yeah, they had the printed out face and everything. Yeah. Well, yeah. Vince Dunn, he's, no, he's not from Ottawa. I think he's from, Missis- is he from Mississauga? Southern Ontario. So I think they, I, I can't remember if they mentioned, I think they might've mentioned that during the broadcast, but talk about another shot defenseman who sends fans wanted. And it's like, well, he's not coming. So don't get your hopes up guys. Yep. 
So, guys, I don't have any more comments to make on these games. If you want to head off to the close for another episode. I think I'm good. For me, I just want to say thank you for inviting me, guys. It was pretty fun just shooting the crap out of these games, talking about what happened in our lives, and talking about the sense. That's the thing I love to talk about the most. Like, to be honest, a hockey is a really important thing for my life, a big special interest of mine. So being able to chat it with fans like you, you guys being sense fans, is really awesome. And Kevin, we're very honored that you agreed to come on the show. We'll have to try and get you back on soon. Now, before we head off to the close, where can our listeners find you on Twitter? Yeah, so my Twitter handle is at 11BKJimena. So J-I-M-E-N-A. So that's my Twitter handle. Well, guys, thank you so much for listening to the Third Line Plug, Sensecast. I hope you've enjoyed it because, believe me, Tim and I and Kevin love recording it for you. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Google Play, as well as on Twitter at Third Line Plug, where you can find Tim at M901 Honey Badger and me at Great White Gipster, as well you can find us on Instagram at Third Line Plug and myself at Great White Gipster. Okay, Tim, so for next week, We've got three games on the schedule. We've got the game this evening versus the Nashville Predators. Thursday, we are at Mullet Arena in Arizona to play the Arizona Coyotes. And Saturday, we head to the Mile High City to play the Colorado Avalanche. There's always that temptation to just be like, fuck it, I'm flying to Arizona. But not this year. Yeah. Good luck trying to explain that to Chelsea, then, because she a she's right behind you, but also <laughs> when she when you get when she looks at your, your guys' credit told card, her. be like, "What the hell is this, Tim?" No, no, she'd come with. It'd be fun. Yeah, but uh, free wedding trip. I still can't get over the fact that there's a team in the NHL called the Predators. Yeah, I mean, but I I, I think I've thought about this every day for the last ten years. How is there a team named the Predators? I mean, in fairness, if you know the backstory of why they're called Predators, it's actually a pretty cool story. Like, I get it, but also there's enough people out there just like... Yeah, that's fair. Until next week, guys. I am your host, Taylor Gibson. And this has been Tim Jensen. Go, Sam.